morning. <laughs> Seems quite odd to be here, and I've done a few readings online, so it's quite nice to do it in the church. <laughs> so we're reading from, no surprise, Matthew chapter 5, and we're starting at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they too will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are you going to pray for Paul, or shall I? Let's just pray as Paul comes to speak. Father, we thank you uh, for this passage. I thank you, Lord, for the word you've laid on Paul's heart. And I pray you'll bless him now and use him, Lord, in this place and and across the airwaves, Lord, that he will be your message will truly reach to the hearts and lives of people today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to you all. It's great to see folk in the church, live people. Give us a wave. Yes, you're still with us. That's fantastic. And those joining us uh, via the internet. My thanks to Paul for leading us thus far, and uh, we do wish you God's blessing as you celebrate your 70th birthday, Paul. It's the most complete delineation anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture. This is John Stott's analysis of the Sermon on the Mount. Today our focus is on the Beatitudes, or as some people have named them, the Beautiful Attitudes. Verses are contained within the, the Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. We're going to be looking at those verses over the next few weeks. Now the Sermon on the Mount is arguably the best-known part of Jesus' teaching, but some would say it's the least understood. Sermon on the Mount is about authentic Christianity. It tells us about the key values in God's kingdom. Throughout the Bible, we see God's purpose is to call out a people to himself, a holy people who are different and distinct from the culture in which they live. God issues a warning in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. In Leviticus 18.3, he says, you must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Cana, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. 
When we come to the New Testament, we see the formation of the church, the ecclesia, a people called out. There's a key phrase in the Sermon on the Mount. It is this in Matthew 6, verse 8. Do not be like them. And God is still calling people to himself on a daily basis. A people who are different, a people who are distinct, but not different, uh, but not uh, distant uh, from our society. People who commit themselves to obeying God in every area of their lives. And there's a link here between the recent series, Postcards from the Exile, and this current series we're embarking on. We heard about people like Daniel and his friends who were transported to an alien country with a pagan culture and yet still remained faithful and obedient to God in their conduct and their character. So in today's passage, Jesus uses the word blessed in eight statements, nine if you include verse 11. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his followers, after the baptism and his temptation, he had begun to announce the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 4, 17, from that, time, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the Basileia. Where's the kingdom of God? Well, it's not a physical kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom where God rules and where God reigns. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what does this word blessed actually mean? Well, it doesn't just mean happy, as some translations would have it. It's much, much deeper than that. Happiness, as we know, is a subjective state. It's, it's a feeling. Jesus here is not declaring how people must feel or may not feel. He's making an objective statement about what God thinks of them. Blessedness comes from a Greek word, makarios. Some of us are old enough to remember a politician and archbishop called Archbishop Makarios. Anybody remember? Yeah. He was a politician and an archbishop in Cyprus. Blessed Archbishop. Blessedness is the approval of God, the smile of God on our lives, if you like. People who feel blessed will often feel happy. But the root idea of blessedness is a pronouncement from God that we have his stamp of approval upon our lives. And if we're honest, I know this is true in my life, we all look outside ourselves for approval at times. We may look to our family. We may look to our friends, to our work colleagues, or even people in the church family. Do I want God's approval? Who am I looking to for approval? Who am I living for? Rick Warren and several other people have said, live your life for an audience of one. 
Life in the kingdom is about bringing every aspect of our life under his gracious and sovereign rule. Our work, our service, our finances, our relationship, and then we will be blessed, truly blessed. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to explore each beatitude in depth. Each one deserves at least one message. But we're going to focus today on the fourth beatitude found in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Eugene Peterson's message version, not a translation, but a version says this. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Now, there are two words that are often frequently heard in Shejon, often around mealtimes. I'm starving. <laughs> well, it's not true, of course. We may be hungry, but we're not starving. But in a world where millions crave food and water, Jesus issues this remarkable statement you see, he's concerned about our spiritual appetite. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I want just for a time to look at what righteousness actually means. We'll look at two aspects of righteousness. First of all, how do I get into a right relationship with God? Maybe people here this morning, maybe people watching via the internet, and you've been exploring the Christian faith, You've been wanting to find out who Jesus is, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How do I get into a right relationship with God? Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day had an artificial external righteousness. It was based on law. But the righteousness that Jesus describes is an authentic and a vital righteousness that begins within the heart. Pharisees were concerned about the minute details of conduct based on rules, regulations, rituals. But they neglected the major aspect of character. You see, conduct flows out of character. Beautiful actions flow from beautiful attitudes. The Apostle Paul says... In Romans 3.22, we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. We can be put into a right relationship with God by trusting Jesus Christ, what he achieved on the cross, to take away our sins. Trusting putting our confidence in Christ to forgive our sins. God's rescue package is available to everyone regardless of who we are or what we've done or where we've been. And I'm so grateful for that. And when we trust in Christ, we are made righteous in his sight. We are made right with God. He wipes the slate clean. The debt is completely but you know, sadly, many people use the DI approach when it comes to getting into a right relationship with God. I can get right with God if I, if I do the best I can. I can get right with God if I go to church. I can get right with God 
if I pray now and again. I can get right with God if, if I try to be religious. I can get right with God if I just try to be a good citizen. In other words, I've got a better way. I can do it better than Christ. My friend, if you're relying on anything else this morning but Jesus, the Bible makes it very clear that you will be doomed. No one else can save us except the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not what you do that saves you. It's trusting in what Christ has already done. We need to experience this for ourselves. Nobody else apart from Christ can save us. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. I guess we've all had that experience of seeing an appetizing meal placed in front of us. And we look at it, we may admire it, and what do we do? Well, hopefully, we'll taste and see. We'll get the experience. No good just looking at it. Not going to do us any good at all. Taste and see what the Lord, that the Lord is good. Maybe this morning is the day when you actually taste and see, that you experience that God is good, that God loves you, that Christ died for you and rose again so that you can have a brand new start in life. Brings us to our second understanding of what righteousness is. Becoming a Christian is is just the start of what God wants to do in each of our lives. Following Jesus is a journey, a journey of faith. But just because we're in a right relationship with God doesn't automatically mean that we will live right for God. Let's return to this beatitude. Jesus is talking to those who are mainly his followers. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What am I hungry for? What am I uh, thirsty for? Is it my passion to know God's will and God's way for my life or just to go my own way? Am I hungry for God or just for the things of this world? Have I perhaps put a, a religious gloss on my life in an attempt to deceive myself that everything's okay in my spiritual world? Has something or someone called my love for God? Matthew six thirty three. Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now we can hunger and thirst after God's word, and that's great. We can hunger and thirst after God's love, his joy, his peace, his patience, and that's good too. We can hunger for God's power. We can hunger for a spiritual experience, But is that really a hunger after righteousness? Hungering after righteousness means choosing to give God first place in every area of my life. How hungry and thirsty am I? Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts 
for God, for the living God. Here's the find or die thirst of an animal for water. Maybe you say to me, Paul, of course I want that. I'm a Christian. What else would I want? But how hungry are we? How thirsty are we? This isn't just a wishy-washy, occasional desire. It's actually a starvation within our heart for God. Perhaps some of us have lost our appetite for God. Maybe we're feeding on junk food. Remember when you were first saved? You were so hungry for God and his word. You were hungry to gather together with brothers and sisters to pray. You were hungry to receive God's guidance and direction. You were hungry to hear God's word explained. Then over the years, maybe the hunger has diminished. Maybe you've become... Uh, content with what you already know and have experienced. Maybe your Christian life has just plateaued. You're content to stay where you are, but God wants to move you on. By the way, this happens to pastors, ex-pastors, and church leaders. We're not immune. Maybe we need to ask God to rekindle our appetite. I have a large stone in my office on which about 20 years ago I wrote a quote from Philip Yancey. God loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave, uh, he refuses to leave us that way. God loves me just the way I am, but he refuses to leave me that way. There are many things that can cool our love for God. It may be a job. It may be an ambition. It may be a family. It may be study. Maybe possessions or acquiring power or position. Alan Redpath said this, you can have as much of God as you want. The question is, how much do you want? Do you want to be filled? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here's the promise of Jesus. If you're hungering, if you're thirsting, you will be filled. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a continuing hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about. Being filled will increase your appetite for more. In fact, it will produce what someone has described as an insatiable satisfaction. The more you have, the more you want. Anybody here like Pringles? Yeah. They used, they used to have uh, a strap line, once you pop, you can't stop. Pringles and peanuts. They're Moorish. Do you know it's like that with God? The more of God we get, the more of God we actually want. Psalm 107 verse 9, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. As I close, I want to mention one more verse. Verse 11. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's never been easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If I ask each one of you, define being a Christian an easy life? No, it's not. It never has and it never will be. We're going against the flow in a pagan, secular society. But only live fish swim against the flow. One of the most difficult areas I would suspect to be a follower of Jesus is in the arena of politics. Kate Forbes is an SNP politician who serves as a finance minister of the devolved government in Edinburgh. In an interview on the BBC's Political Thinking podcast, she tells Nick Robinson, to be straight, I believe in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for me and he saved me and that my calling is to serve and to love him and to serve and love my neighbors with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. So that for me is essential to my being. Politics will pass. I was a person before I was a politician, and that person will continue to believe that I'm made in the image of God. What a testimony. Not easy to be a Christian. In the arena of politics, those who are Christians are despised and denigrated. We need to pray for our politicians, people like Kate Forbes, who stand up and say, this is what I believe. And these are the things that motivate me as a politician. I finish with a quote from John Stott. The culture of the world and the counterculture of Christ are at loggerheads with each other. In brief, Jesus can congratulates those whom the world most pities and calls the world's rejects blessed. May each of us know the experience of being blessed by God as we continue our journey with Christ. May each of us look out for an opportunity this week to be a blessing to someone else. Amen.